Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Heaven on earth, that's what we're asking God to do. We've been praying how Jesus taught us to pray. And uh, I love that the worship team used that, that, that song uh, to really highlight that today. It's a fantastic worship tune. But we're asking God for his kingdom to come, his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And again, not just a, a saying, a, uh, you know, just to be retre- repeated over and over again in hope, but actually it's a prayer. It really is a prayer. And then we're asking God to practically see his kingdom come down and, and invade our lives. And so we're, we're talking about that this month. We're asking God to do that in us and uh, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, really kind of part two to what we talked about last month, which was having a heart for the lost and being able to share our faith with others. And then we talked about the power. And so even though I'm, I'm entitling this Heaven on Earth, we're talking about God giving us what, it need, us what we need in order to carry that out. And so we're discovering, we're looking at it, and as we get further into the month, we're going we're gonna to get more and more specific. But today, part two is entitled, You Shall Do Greater Things. You shall do greater things. Of course, I'm speaking of John chapter 14, verse 12, very powerful verse, and one that, that is, is worth investigating a little bit more today. And so Jesus says, very truly I tell you, and I love that when he starts that way, because he's trying to, make, he's trying to give an emphasis, he's trying to, to say, look, I'm the, you know, I need you to listen up, because what I'm getting ready to say is one of those, those statements, it's one of those biblical truths that does have uh, it, it speaks into so many things. It says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. It's very curious. We're going we're to break this down. But again, at the very beginning here, I just want to point out that he says, whoever believes. So it's not just the apostles. It's not just the disciples of the early church. And I think that sometimes... We get caught up in there, especially with the, the dispensational view that the gifts are not for today, and that we're not supposed to see, that, that signs and wonders are gone, that miracles don't happen anymore. Um, and that's, that's often taught, and it, it breaks my heart, because I feel like it, it, it shortchanges Christians today, especially, I mean, especially now, when we need miracles more than ever. And it's amazing that we have all the science, we have all the medicine, we have all the wonderful things that are out there, and yet we still need miracles. And then I often find it kind of a little hypocritical that we would believe that signs and wonders are not for here in the United States, but oh, we believe them to happen in all other nations. In other words, we, we, give, a, we give a pass to missionaries when they need it, but here, well, of course, that's passed away. So I think that's a little ridiculous, I'm sorry. I, I, I tend to be one who believes what the Bible has to say from cover to cover. I believe that there's a message for the church, and the more the church uncovers what it is that Jesus said, the more we will tap into its power and tap into its truths. If anything, I think the church has devolved and fallen away from what God wants us to hear more than we have discovered it, to be honest. And I think that's my burden, and that's why we're doing this series. So he says, well, let's go on. He says, you know, you're not only going to do the works that I have been doing, but you're going to do even greater things. Let's take a look at that. 
We're going to be doing what Jesus was doing. That's what he's saying. Not only are we going to be doing that, and of course, what did Jesus do? He healed the sick. He raised the dead three times. Feeding the poor, teaching the truth, walking in supernatural wisdom, confronting darkness. And what I mean by that, of course, is next, casting out demons, confronting the proud of heart, those who had that, that had religious, uh, like the, the Pharisees, that pharisaical spirit who was able to confront that thing, expose that thing, which everybody was fearful to do, but Jesus was able to do it very, very wonderfully, very powerfully. Casting out those demons, which, of course, we talked about last week, Jesus said, look, if you don't believe anything, believe the fact that we, the kingdom of God has come because when, I mean, it must have freaked them all out to see people writhing on the ground and and shouting out loud, and, and people that had been toward the Gadarene demoniac who was chained up with huge chains to keep him from injuring people, and that Jesus walks up to him and casts those demons, and he's in his, now in his right mind. That must have blown everybody away, and he said, look, if you don't believe anything, believe the kingdom of God has come when you see who you know is Satan, Lucifer, the fallen angel, is fleeing in major retreat. So he's saying, and so what we're learning is he said, you're, you're going to be doing what I am doing, standing against persecution and resisting deception. All these things Jesus did. So it's important that we get that. We're going to be doing what he did. And we could stop right there and all go home, get lunch, if we could get that point, but we're going to go deeper. Then he goes on to say, then you will do even greater things than these. Now, I've heard this preached before, and I'm not listening to any of that. I'm letting the word of God speak to us today. He says, we will do even greater things. What on earth could those be in the light of what Jesus was doing, right? You could just look at that, scratch your head and say, what? Wow. I mean, what's greater than raising someone from the dead? Well, I've got a thought, but we're going to go even deeper. We already know that the disciples did almost, almost all the things except for raising people from the dead. We don't have any recollection or recording of, of them actually doing that. So what I'm going to say here today is perhaps the greater things that Jesus spoke of are not measured by the actual events, but the amount or the measure are more startling and greater based on the scale and impact and not on the acts themselves. In other words, we're going to keep doing what Jesus did, or we should be. But because the earth now has many more millions of opportunities, we have many more nations. Most of this was confined to just that part of the world. But now the globe, now we have the whole earth, now with all that we have available to us, we could travel anywhere within 24 hours, 48 hours at the most. We can be anywhere on the globe, and we can pray for people, we can share the gospel, we can do that's a greater thing. Because during those times, they didn't have any of the technology. They didn't have anything. They thought the world was flat for the most part. So yeah, I mean, greater things. So what I, what I posit to you is that not only will, taking Jesus' words exactly, not only will we do what he's doing, but I believe we're going to do it in greater uh, uh, speed, greater opportunity. More of these things will happen in greater amounts. That's what I believe he's speaking of. But on top of that, I believe there's even more. There's even more. We would have to study the birth of the church to discover what other things there might be. Of course, you can read the book of Acts. 
And you, de- you do see the disciples operating in these things, okay? So if we use the, and then again, if we use the early church as our pattern for modern church polity, or in other words, what we do, that we pattern ourselves after the first church, which I believe, personally, I think that's what we're supposed to do. Okay, I mean, where do we start? I mean, where do we jump in? And, and, and personally, that, that's my heritage. If you want to know where Pastor David comes from, that's my heritage. I had no denominational upbringing. I had absolutely no exposure to any of that. I just, one day, I, I sat down and said, this is the Bible. I started reading, and I hung out, hung out with other men who had similar experiences. And we just looked at the book of Acts and said, well, this, this, is, this is what Jesus told us to do. And this is what the church really should look like. And the wonderful thing is, is that those churches here in the world right now that are following the book of Acts as the pattern, they're the ones that are succeeding and, and experiencing the greatest amount of fruit and growth right now, which I think is, is a wonderful uh, way of God showing his favor. So we're going to look at the early church, and if that's true, then we can use it for a fresh start. I think sometimes we need a fresh start. I think sometimes we get into this holding pattern and we just kind of go and we fall back on our traditions. We fall back on the things that give us the warm and fuzzies when sometimes God wants to break up the fallow ground. He wants to break up that which we have kind of just pounded down over time. Like the farmer, he's not able to get to the deeper you know, parts of the soil that have the minerals, that have the, what, what we need in order to grow. And sometimes we just got to go a little, we got we to let the plow go deeper to break it up. And so I really believe that's part of what this, this series is and what my burden, what God is trying to speak to us right now. And we need a fresh look into especially these greater things that we should be doing. I think that's an important thing for us to do as Christians. Not only to examine our heart to see where we stand in faith, but I think we need to examine our lives to see where we stand in action. Are we following in the, are we, are we doing, are we going and sharing the God? Are we raising up disciples? Are we going and experiencing the greater things? I think that's a valid question. I really do. So if we, we start and we, we get a, a, just a flash picture to kind of bring us up, you know, Jesus said, wait, because they come and he gathers, gathers them together and just a little bit of, 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 of uh, summarization of what we've already covered. But he said, look, wait for the, this gift that I've been talking to you about. And so they do, they wait, 120 of them. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And notice that all 120 of them get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now just the 12. And I think, I think that's, that's something we need to take notice of. And so you got Bob over in the corner. We don't know much about Bob. He's just over there, just hanging out with the guys and just saying, hey, I happen to have been crazy enough to believe what Jesus was saying. And when they're saying, okay, who wants to go in the upper room and wait for what Jesus was saying? So Bob, the unknown disciple, ends up in that group. I'm just being facetious. I'm playing here, but I'm trying to show you that there are people there that we don't even know about, but they were just hungry. They were just saying, I'm ready for the move of God. I made it through the persecution. I made it through, I have to eat your blood and drink your, drink, uh, drink your blood and eat your flesh. I made it through when lunch wasn't served. I made it through when the, when the Romans came in and, and, and threatened us. I made it through all of that. I want to be in the upper room. 
I want to be there and, and see this gift that God has. So in Acts chapter 2, we find out. We're going to talk about more of that later in the month. But all 120 get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what we find is the church powers forward. They're not just 120 stuck in an upper room. They go pouring out on that day. Peter, the last person any one of us would imagine of the 12 disciples to be the one that actually be the spokesman, stands up in an amazing amount of courage and begins to preach the gospel in front of hundreds, if not thousands, of Jews that had traveled there from all over the world on that day of Pentecost, one of their, their feast days. So it was strategically a wonderful time. He gets out there and he preaches just the simple gospel. He said, you crucified the guy. God has now made him Lord. He rose from the dead, by the way. Maybe you heard about that. And now he is king, and you need to realize that he is your Messiah, and today you need to accept him. You killed him. But guess what? He didn't stay down, and he's now in heaven. We saw him raised from the dead. You need to give your life to him today. 3,000 get saved on that day. I'd say some power is, is on the move. And it's amazing. We see, for all intents and purposes, the church as we know it was birthed on that day. Man, woman, and child. People of great influence. People who are now going to take what they've learned on that day back to their countries. Strategically beautiful. It says Jews from every nation, civilized nation that they knew, they get baptized in water, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, they go back to their nations, and they spread the word. They keep spreading it. Paul, Everywhere Paul goes, he finds out that they already knew a little bit about Jesus because God's on the move. The church powers forward. And it's an amazing thing. Then in Acts chapter 3, of course, Peter and John are walking into the temple. They've already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're going, man, this is amazing. Man, do you feel different? Yeah, I feel different. So they're walking into the temple. There's the man who's been, he was, you know, he's four, nearly 40 years old. He is 40 years old. He's been crippled all his life. And he's just sitting there, you know, holding out his hat, alms, alms for the poor. Not very motivated, not very excited. Been doing this all his life, hoping he's going to get a shekel or two. Alms, alms for the poor. Peter and John stop on this day. They've been walking next to the guy all of their lives. They stop, and they say, today's different. And they looked down at him and said, silver and gold, we don't have, buddy. We wish we could give you what we've had from time to time. But today, we're going to give you something different. They don't give him a teaching. They don't tell him they need to go to, he needs to go to church. They don't give him a church invitation, although that's still a wonderful thing. But they looked down and said, silver and gold have we not. But in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the guy on those thin little, little legs that have atrophied muscles that have never been walked on, he gets up, he stumbles, they help him up, and he starts to walk. And he doesn't just start doing the walk. He starts to laugh and leap and shout and make a scene. And everybody's going is going on how'd that happen the holy spirit how'd that happen god said greater things you're, that you're going to do because i've gone unto the father and the church is starting to experience it that's pretty amazing stuff then we get acts chapter four and i believe that three of the biggest miracles as i was studying this it was amazing because i got to that point and i said well you know we could stop right there and kind of 
you know, lovingly browbeat us a little bit and to just say, well, we need to start working and asking God for more miracles. We need to lay hands on the sick and ask God to see him recover. We need to speak in the name of Jesus more. I mean, all of that is good, and yes and amen. But I believe there was three other miracles that took place on that day that I think were critical to what you saw going on. And I'm, I've, I've missed this. I've missed this pretty much all my life. Um, maybe alluded to it, but I want to point these three things out because I think this is really the key. I think this is what we can look forward to when we prepare to do the greater things. I think this is what really does happen when we get filled with the Holy Spirit. Check this out. So in Acts chapter 4, what we find is uh, the first confrontation of the church. A miracle happens. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, Sadducees, hear about this, and they drag Peter and John in. What are you doing? How dare you heal people without our permission? How dare you move in these signs and wonders, these miracles? And so they're in this situation where they're dancing, what are you doing? And they just stand there and say, we're, just so, we're sorry, but, you know, you guys knew what he was doing, and we're just doing what he was doing. He was healing people, and he asked, he told us that we would do these things. We saw a man that was in need. We prayed for him to get healed, and he was healed. So the Pharisees are looking at him, and they see a miracle. They see a miracle that's more than, I mean, they spot something that I thought was as significant as the man getting up and walking. And you know what it was? It was boldness. They see courage in these men. You got Peter, who, who denied Christ three times. You have a man who, in his own strength, was all talk, not a lot to do. I hate to say that. But his personality. If we did a personality assessment of, of Peter, we'd find the guy being a little pushy, a little strong-arming, but when the rubber met the road, when it came down to being the guy who would rise up in character to do something, he probably wouldn't show, because that's what he did. And so you look at him and you just say, wow, you know, Peter, are you sure he's going to be the one to lead this team? Jesus, what are you doing? Except that I see on that day, the Pharisees see something more remarkable than the miracle itself. And that was that these guys were bold. And they actually point that out. And they said, they looked at one another and said, they made note of the fact that these are simple fishermen who are walking with incredible courage, that are walking in boldness, and that were walking in spiritual things way above their pay grade. And so they take note of that, and they're looking at it going, this is... This is amazing. I love that. Because I think that really hits at the heart where a lot of us live. I think when we talk about these, these things, when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when we talk about miracles, when we talk about the greater things, I think where most Christians hit the wall is having the courage to actually step out and do it. Am I right? Come on. Be honest with yourself. The reason why most of the time that we don't see the greater things operating in our lives is because we lack the courage. Not that we don't lack the knowledge. Now, if you lack the knowledge, I think I've just fixed that today. 
But the truth is, I think that's what it is. I think when we do get filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the most miraculous things that takes place is that we're filled with a boldness. Now, if we go back and we, and we look at what Jesus said that would happen when the disciples got, when they were going to get baptized, Acts chapter 1, he said that that's what would happen. He said, I will make you witnesses, not forcing us. But now we know what he's talking about. We'll be filled with a fresh boldness. Folks, we can be looking forward to that. We can really look forward to that. To say, God, I'm, I'm a little intimidated. I don't know where to jump in. I mean, this world, they seem to really know what they're doing. They seem to have passed me by with all the technology. There's all this talk. There's, there's rhetoric. There is this, there's, there's the facade of everything going well. And I know there's, there's, there's something really, really wrong. And I do see the darkness. And I do see the deception. I do see the crushed lives, but the smiling faces. I just don't know how to jump into that. And in most days, I'd rather not confront it at all. That's human. That's running on human energy. But I'm telling you, one of the things we can really look forward to by asking God to fill us with the Holy Spirit is that we get an an internal, actually, I wrote an eternal miracle. That's, That's not what I meant. It's supposed to be internal. An internal miracle. That God get into our emotions and begin to create a fresh boldness. So if you go to the notes here, I said, fear is destroyed. We're not thinking about consequences anymore. Peter and John walk in there, see the guy, and so many things come to our mind if we put ourselves in their shoes. Well, he's been, I mean, also we start making excuses for God. We start coming up with church doctrine. Oh, well, he was born. I guess God really wanted him to be crippled. I guess he was meant to sit by that gate all of his life. Poor guy. Man, he got a real bum deal. But, oh, he's experiencing more of the grace and love of God. And at least God is caring for him in that way. That's a bunch of bunk. Because I think that a lot of times when we settle in, all we're doing is making excuses for God. I mean, that's, I'm just shooting plain here. We're just making excuses for God because people don't understand why they don't see more of the supernatural signs and wonders. Well, can I remind you that it was God's intention that they flow through us. And by asking God to pour out his spirit upon us, then we'll be more aligned to be able to do that. So fear, I believe that when the Holy Spirit comes, that the fear is just wiped away. The intimidation is just wiped away. The anxiety concerning the world. And you're going to see that this, each of these miracles that God does in the early church builds upon the other. So let's look at the other thing. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, again, are taken before the Sanhedrin where they speak plainly and boldly about why they did what they did. They're threatened and they're released, and the church rejoices. What I see in studying the book of Acts is that this is what I call this is the birth of the church, the triumphant church. The first part of is the church getting empowered and the church moving forward with the way God intended it to, and the people are filled with boldness. So, I mean, so not only do they face their fears of, 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 of doing something that was right in front of the temple, right in front of everyone, but... They are threatened by the church leaders, by, by the, the religious leaders, by the, 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 the cultural um, controllers, if you will. 
And they say, don't ever speak in the name of Jesus again. Now, they were, granted, I love this. <laughs> Boldness comes to the surface again. And they go, look, we're sorry. I mean, you can read this on your own. Acts chapter 4, they said, we're sorry, but we got to speak in the name of Jesus. He changed our life. You put him to death. And what's amazing, of course, is they're just starting to rise up, and they're like, um, okay, well, let's put these guys to death. Thank God from Gamaliel, one of the sin, he rises up and says, guys, time out, time out. Send those dudes out. Peter, John, go on out. Guys, if this is God, then there's nothing we can do to stop it. But if it's not God, it's going to die. It's going to go away. Let's not overreact. The people think that they're awesome. The people see, saw the miracle. Let's not be fools here and try to squash the thing. God is on the move because he's silencing the mouths of the naysayers in a, in a way that's very, very powerful that we will, I believe, in our culture see today. We've seen it before. We'll see it again. Right now, it's not very popular to be a Christian, to speak in the name of Jesus, because we had a cultural shift for a while there so that Christians began to start to retreat and walk in fear, and I can't speak in the name of Jesus. I mean, look at it. And then, but it's coming, folks, and it's going to come with Christians rising up once again, speaking in the name of Jesus, being willing to pray for people, even if somebody says it's against the law, now, I'm not saying we need to break the law, but I mean, if somebody just comes up to you and says, look, can you pray for me? Well, look, I can't pray here because they told me I can't, whether it be in school or college or workspace, but I'll pray for you. Matter of fact, as soon as you go to your car, they can't stop me from praying for you there. Boom, miracles. What ends up happening? My kids were asking me about that the other day. I think it was Ben. He said, well, Dad, what if they outlaw Christianity? I said, you know, they did it before. I said, it's amazing that sometimes when men make laws, they just fall apart. Because, the, I mean, the laws come from the will of the people. And if everybody in our nation starts coming back with a revival, start coming back to Christ again, it's just like, just like they do even now. They look at some of the old laws on the record and say, did we actually enforce that? That's ridiculous. How did that ever get on the book? Because that's a cultural revolution. Talked about that already. Christians, I'm telling you, we need to stop this fearful hiding out. One of the indications of being filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the miracles he wants to do inside us is to give us greater boldness, to be able to stand up, to stand against, and be able to speak in the name of Jesus, even though we've been threatened not to do so, even though we've been told it's not culturally sensitive, even though we've been told it's not politically correct. I don't hear a lot of amens out there, but you better get it stirred up, Christian. You better. Now, I also believe that there's a second miracle that took place because you keep following this story. It's amazing. So Peter and John come back and say, you're not going to believe it. They threatened us. They threatened us. But we told them we're going to keep speaking. And they were just like, man, this is awesome. And so somebody rose up and said, let's pray. So they get in the house and they start praying. And the house is shaken. And the Holy Spirit is poured out in even more power. To the point where now Peter and John are just walking down streets. The, the disciples all start breaking out and praying for people. Man, it is, it is a wonderful chaos. Not only did they not stop speaking in the name of Jesus, they upped the game. Matter of fact, they didn't even have to pray. That was what was so amazing. I mean, read it. The Spirit of God is poured out upon this, 
this, this city that is, in, that is in political chaos. They have no idea what to do, but they can't stop God in doing whatever he wants to do. Second miracle comes up. What, is it, what, is it, what does the church do? Well, often the church starts to break up, get into fights and things like that. I call this the external miracle. One of the other greatest things that we'll do. And that we see unity in the church. You may not say, wow, that's, is that really a miracle? Yeah. I don't know how many churches we got in town. We got a lot. In a city of our size, probably a church in every corner. And to get us together to pray, and believe me, I've tried. Pretty tough. And we all want to argue about this, we all want to argue about that, but here we see a miracle. We find the church coming together. And on top of that, you'll see it goes even deeper. But it says selfish, what I see is begin selfishness. One of the other miracles that comes in, and, and what, look what it says there in Acts 4, uh, in verse 32 and 33. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. That's a miracle. Because <laughs> for the most part, it's like herding cats, right? No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now that's flying right in the face of the fact that they said, stop talking about Jesus. And they already told them, look, we can't. I mean, we're going to let the chips fall where they may. If you're going to kill us, if you're going to beat us, if you're going to do whatever, but we're just telling you. We're not disobeying. We already told you that we got to keep doing what we're doing. And God handcuffed them because everybody in the city saw what happened with that crippled man. Everybody in the city's hearts were beginning to change. 3,000 came to Christ in one day on the day of Pentecost. The city's being turned upside down, folks. Because a few Christians decided to say, Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? They were given the boldness, and now they're beginning to get unified. Now, I've taught on this before. Where two or three come together in his name, there are awesome things that take place. When even just a small group of believers come into unity and have one heart and one mind, watch out. And again, I think that is one of, the greater, one of the many greater things that can happen as a result of being in the Holy Spirit. And I thought about that, and I thought, wow, that is, that is a miracle, God. That actually we could start putting down our traditions, we could start putting away our judgments, we can start putting away our prejudice. Because it says right here that no one claimed any of their, their possessions as their own. Folks, come on. This is the United States. The home of the, the, the right, the, the, uh, the free and the brave and the greedy. What's mine is mine, and what's yours will eventually be mine. Imagine what would happen to us if that kind of unity began to rise up inside the church to where we now had a greater goal in our life to advance his kingdom and see the kingdom of God come down. Would that not be a miracle among Christians? Oh, yeah. Which really dovetail into the next miracle. And guess what it is? It's generosity. Whoa. So it goes on, and it says, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all 
that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it on the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Wow. So not only did they come together in heart and mind for the vision of the church, in other words, to realize what what their calling was, what their purpose was, beyond just making widgets, beyond just being tent makers and and, and you know, people that were just surviving and raising their family, they saw that all that what they were doing, whether it be in the plant or in the school or in the hospital, whatever it is that you find yourself doing, that is all just to an end to a greater means. And that is for you to have what you need to be a greater salt and light. I don't know if you believe that. I hope you do. Because it's when you align your life in that fashion, my friends, that you will start to see the greater things. Because I'm getting ready to say something that might be controversial, but I believe it's absolutely true based on what we're reading here. I believe that the reason why we're not seeing the greater things in our lives is because we lack the boldness. It's because we lack the unity. It's because we lack the generosity. That we need to be inside us for the rest of those gifts to start pouring out. It's sad to think that we would take Pentecost, our own Pentecost. It's very sad to think that we would experience the wonderful things of God in the gifts that we're going to talk about next week in detail, that we would take all of these wonderful gifts and just keep them to ourselves, that we would only use them for ourselves. Because see, without boldness and without a heart of unity, and let's get past, we got to get past this whole thing that church is just something that I do once a week, that I come for an hour, listen to the pastor, I feel inspired. I mean, I've had people come to me and just say, you know, I'm just used to, you know, I I like leaving feeling like I've been really pumped up and kind of shouted at, get it all stirred up and all that, and I just think, You know, that's not really me, to be honest with you. I'm more of a teacher and an exhorter than I am a preacher. But if you really cut me, I bleed practicality. I bleed, if it ain't working at home, then what are you doing? If it's not working out there in the the, the workplace, I mean, if you got a reputation of here and being the smiling one who's always ready to go, but out there, people think that you're the spawn of the damned, I mean... How is that working for you? I'm sorry, but am I speaking truth? I am speaking truth. So I want to finish on this generosity here. It's another, I call it the practical miracle. So God did a miracle and gave them boldness so they would speak in the name of Jesus without any hindrance. God gave them a miracle of unity so that they could gather together and say, you know what, I'm willing to put down my issues. Because you know what? We all belong to a nation whose builder and maker is God. This is not our home. I mean, I'm an American. I'm proud to be one, but I'm, I'm also a kingdom of heaven guy. And that's really my greatest uh, citizenship. As Christians, you should be thinking that way. So let's talk about generosity to finish. It's a practical miracle. What we find is that all of a sudden they go beyond the the unity. In other words, the talk. Because they were just like, hey, man, you know, gosh, I mean, 
that guy, that, that crippled guy just got saved and he's now a part of the church. He doesn't have any money at all. He, his, how he made his living was from being crippled and it just took his living away. So what is he going to do? And how many widows came in and how many poor and how many broken and how many disenfranchised came in, which we know the church in, in the early days and even does to this day, that a lot of the broken ones come in and that, that, the, that the wedding feast, the doors are open for them. And so they had to face the reality. But this is what I love, is that God did it in them. It was another miracle, and I believe it is a miracle, for Christians, well, even human beings, to become generous. Because I believe that greed is such a a powerful spirit of our age. Mm. It really is. And I think it is even more so. And I think that's why, if I can speak to us plainly, that in our politics today, there is so much disagreement, there is so much infighting, which is why Washington is about ready to explode, is because of a difference of opinion of what we do with the need of people. And I think what they come to is, you got two different philosophies, for the most part. you got those who try to build heaven on earth through political processes, and then you got others who say, well, there is a heaven and there is an earth. And that God has called us to make use of what he's given us, that we should grow and that individuals should take responsibility. So you got these two things going after one another, just fighting it out. And it's very, very sad because I think in the middle, what we need is a miracle. What we need is people not being forced any longer to have to be compassionate to the poor but we'd be motivated on our own. When you have to make policy and force people to be generous, they're never generous. They're never truly generous. It strips the heart of a man and makes them very angry. It makes them very, um, you know, judgmental. It doesn't change a heart. And I'll be honest with you, laws never change hearts. God changes the heart. That's why this is such a miracle. That is why these three things are such incredible miracles, is because we can't generate boldness that comes from God. We can't generate unity when it comes to the kind of division right down the middle that we're experiencing in our nation right now. And I'm telling you, when it comes to generosity, man, I'm telling you, the greed thing is just, and we're so good at it. We're so good at it. That's a miracle. That's a miracle that these men would come. And on the scene comes the guy who is, who is, his name means son of encouragement, is Barnabas. Barnabas shows up on the scene, not being a miracle-working, raised-from-the-dead kind of guy. Barnabas comes on the scene because he's going, hey, look, I've got this extra land that I'm not using. It was given to me by my uncle. I, I had some hopes and dreams for it, but you know what? My life has changed. I'm living for him. I'm not taking anything with me. So he sells it. Or actually, I don't know if he actually gives it to them and they sell it or how it all worked out. But let's just say he sells it, brings the money, and brings it to disciples and said, guys, you use that. However, you, I, I see the needs, I see the widows, I see the poor coming in. Let's use that to, let's change the world. God does a miracle. And on top of that, people look at his example and they say, wow. And that's what it often takes, doesn't it? Somebody to break in, somebody to be the example, somebody to come in and say, I would never imagine it ever happening. 
So folks, I want to get after this generosity thing. And I don't want to look at it as I would normally look at it. And that is to get up and just say, hey, look, man, we're a local church. You know, we do this based on the tithes and offerings of the people that come here. If you're led and fed, we really ask you to tithe. I mean, I could go after it that way, but that's a little twisting of the arm, isn't it? That's a little bit, like Paul said, look, we shouldn't give out of compulsion, which is, I, I, I run from that. But I do ask God to do a miracle in your hearts. That you not have to be forced or told to be a tither. But it comes up out of your heart because you now have the Holy Spirit who's put a, who's done a miracle inside you to make you someone who's generous. And when you walk in generosity, God wants to do even greater miracles inside us to show us that we don't have to be poor anymore. We don't have to be destitute anymore. We don't have to be the bottom of the, the, the stack. But then when we start walking in supernatural living, God says, I'm going to make sure you have everything you need. It's a matter of faith. So we're asking God for his head. What is in heaven to come down on earth? You know what's in heaven? Is boldness. You know what's in heaven is unity. And whenever there was no unity, God fixed it. <laughs> and there's also generosity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Generosity started with him. And generosity is what is going to flow through us as a church. These are indications. These are incredible miracles. I, I love the signs and wonders, and I think they're all good. But I tell you what, what we're going to learn next week when we look at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is that, look, you can do the dog and pony show, but if you don't have love and if you're not walking in the boldness and the unity and the generosity, then all of that is just for show. And it doesn't really change the world. And God absolutely knew that by doing these things inside their hearts. As a matter of fact, those things happen to result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then the other things came. Then the greater things came. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I really believe it. I really believe that this month, as we're coming to God and asking, Lord, would you come and you fill me afresh, that we can look forward to God changing us, God going after our rebellious hearts, the God going after our stubborn hearts that are unwilling to release our time, unwilling to unrelease or to release our prejudice, being unwilling to release what God has given us, whether it be time or money or just words. We can ask him to do that. If we want the greater things, if you want to see God doing some amazing things in your life, I believe it starts with those miracles. You want the greater things? I do. I mean, I'm not into this just for the show. I, I, I mean, I really, I mean, that's what, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, it was like, I believed what he said. That my life would have that water, that it would be the endless fountain of water coming up that would affect every part of my life. For the most part, I've experienced that daily. My heart is for you to have that too. Let's stand up this morning.